Jesus. In his name I pray. Amen. I'm going to be reading from John chapter 16, verses 4 through 15. But these things I have spoken to you, so that when the hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. These things I do not say to, did not say to you at the beginning, because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth, it is in your advantage that I go away. For I do not go away, or if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. And concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. Thank you, Nathan. Um, before we get going this morning, uh, this uh, next Sunday we'll be having a Covenant Family Night on Sunday evening at 6 o'clock. Uh, it's next Sunday. Uh, be a great time. We'll have the Lord's Supper. But we also want to have a, a special time of prayer. And so if you just have something that's been on your heart, maybe this summer, that, that, that you haven't really been able to have many people pray for, just something going on in your life or someone you love's life, if you could just, maybe on the connection card that's in the bulletin, uh, if you want to just put on there uh, family night prayer and just put that prayer request, and, and we'll know to put that in the agenda to pray for next Sunday night. But we want to make that a very uh, special night of prayer as a family. And so be sure to, to be in attendance um, next Sunday night. Uh, in the... Uh, Crystal and I, when we were dating, we went to the movies and we saw Castaway, starring Tom Hanks, who was a, a, a guy with the FedEx, uh, who was in a plane crash on a FedEx plane, and he was shipwrecked, or plane wrecked, I guess you would call it. And so he gets on an island, and in a couple of days, packages begin to float up from the plane crash, and I don't know, seven or eight packages um and he kept them for a while but then he thought i need to see what's in these packages and so he begins to open stuff and uh, he finds some ice skates that's helpful on an island right he he turns it into an axe to use to chop coconuts so he does make it useful uh, he finds his friend wilson uh the volleyball uh that's kind of weird but somehow it works in the movie uh to have a friend that's a volleyball uh when you're lonely on an island but there was one package he didn't leave open that, 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 that he didn't open. And I think that was just in the hopes that, hey, I'm going to get off this island one day. If I open this package, I'm just giving up on getting off. I'm going to get off of this island. I'm going to take this package back to the owner. I'm going to deliver. I'm going to be a good FedEx guy uh, as I am. I've always thought, what if that was the package that changed everything? What if there was just a fancy survival kit 
inside this package. And he gets back, and the person opens it, and he's like, ah, I should have opened that. Um, or, or maybe a, a raft, uh, maybe a flare, you know. Maybe he saw ships in those five years he was on the island. He could have signaled them that he was there. Or better yet, a satellite phone, right, that he could have just called and said, hey, I'm on the island, I'm still alive, come get me. It would have been the package that changed everything that he left unopened. Sometimes I feel like in the life of the Christian, the Holy Spirit is the package that changes everything that's left unopened. The gift that, that Christ has given us that is to be that thing that helps us in, in our most difficult days and even in our good days. It's just that constant companion. So this morning we want to talk about the work of the Holy Spirit because that's what Christ talks about in this, past, pack, uh, in this passage. Christ sends the Holy Spirit to help the believer, to judge the world, and to declare the words of Christ. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. First, Christ sends the Spirit to help the believer. We see in this passage, if you'll notice, we see uh, beyond just the Holy Spirit, we see a great sensitive care in the heart of our Savior. We see here, He knows their hearts. In verse 6 it says, But, but because I've said these things uh, to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. He knows. He knows what He's just talked about is, is the world's going to hate you guys. He's, he's talking to His disciples, right? Getting, uh, if you haven't been with us, He's, he's getting ready to leave. Uh, to, to experience the crucifixion then go back to the Father. So he's kind of leaving his disciples with some last words. He's trying to comfort them. And he's just told them, hey, the world's going to hate you. And he knows, he knows their hearts. He knows that that's hurt them and, and that their hearts are heavy, that sorrow has filled their hearts. And notice the sensitivity he shows here. He has and he is holding back truths from them. He's giving them some truths they, that they need. He's also holding back. It says in verse, um, in verse 4, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. He has put off speaking of the hate of the world because, hey, I've been with you. You've had me with you. I've been able to help you through the hate that we've experienced from the world, but I'm about to go. And so it's, it's important that you know that as I go, I'm here to tell you it's going to be hard, that the world is not going to always like you, that you're going to have to stand in the face of opposition as followers of me time and time again. And so he knows that, that you know, he's, he's held back, he's held back some truths and he's given it to them when they need them. You know, we as a parent, we, we experience this, we know what this is like. You know, raising a child is, is like, is just, figuring out when they need to know stuff, right? You don't just unload on them in the first time that they can maybe understand your words and you just start unloading just deep, dark truths that they need to know in life. No, it's, uh, it's as they go through life, they kind of come to these milestones and you realize, okay, they can handle that. Let me give that to them. They can handle that, right? You don't, you don't bring the puppy home and the kid, the child is rejoicing in the puppy you, you don't so okay, the good news is we've got a puppy. Here's Skippy, that's his name. 
But the bad news is, his lifespan's not as great as ours. And uh, Skippy's great and all, but chances are he's going to go before us, and it's going to rip our hearts out, and it's going to be awful. We're going to have to bury him in the backyard, and we're all going to, it's going to destroy us. Enjoy your puppy. Like, no, you're a psycho if you do that. The, the, the kid doesn't need to know that. He needs to know that when the dog's like 10 or 11 or 12, that, okay, it's winding down here. You may need to know what's going to happen here. And, and Jesus, in his great kindness, he does this with his disciples, and he does this with us, I believe. Even now, in this disclosure, he's holding back. Verse 12 says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now even as he reveals some hard truths he doesn't give them everything he could put them on blast right now he could say peter you're going to be crucified upside down thomas you're going to be stuck with four spears through your chest james you're going to be stoned and clubbed to death it's going to be great Matthias, you're going to get set on fire. They're going to burn you. John, you luck out, buddy. You're going to live. They're going to boil you. You're going to live in exile, but you're going to live and die a ripe old age. But Jesus knew that that's not what they needed to hear in the moment. They needed to go through some things. They needed to, first of all, just see the, cru- see the crucified Christ resurrected, right? To, to know that there's hope even in death. There's things that they needed to know. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad, Christian, that Christ, he, he knows your heart. And he knows the truths that you need when you need them. Exactly. One of my favorite prophecies of Christ is Isaiah 42.3. It says, a bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. I love that. The reality that that our hearts, that, that our lives are safe. That when we're weak, he's not going to break us just to break us. He's going to be there and comfort us and when we have no hope, he's not going to sniff out the last bit of hope we have. No, we, we can trust him in our moment of need. Christian, do you come here this morning with a heart full of sorrow? Life going difficult. He knows. He knows every tear that you've cried. He knows. Every tossing in your night as you try to go to sleep. And he knows what you need when you need it. And so trust him. Go to his word. In those moments of of difficulty, pray to him. Because a bruised reed he will not break. And a smoldering wick he will not sniff out. He He treated his disciples with great tender care and that he will do the same for you and it is out of that great sensitive care 
that he does not leave his disciples alone. It is, it is out of his great care that, that he promises to send a helper to them. Look what he says in verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. This is an amazing testimony of Christ, of the Holy Spirit. And, and he puts forth, and I've said this before, this is, we, 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 we've looked at this before, but the, the reality of the truth that he says here is, hey, it's better for me to go away. It's to your advantage. For me to go away and for me to send my spirit to be in you. Right? And, and that's hard for us to fathom, I think. I think so often we think, if I could go back in time, if I could be one of the disciples, if I could eat the multiplied fish, if I could talk to Lazarus about what it's like to be dead for three days and then to rise again, I could then come back here and, man, I would be an awesome minister of the gospel. And I could proclaim Christ if, if I could experience that. And yet what Jesus says to his disciples What's coming in my departure, in my sending of the Holy Spirit, is better than what you're experiencing now. You will be more empowered. You will be, you will be helped more in my absence than in my presence. I think it's amazing that he would say that really the Spirit inside of you is to more advantage than me, or the Spirit inside of you is more, in more of an advantage to you than to me walking bodily beside you. That's, that's, that's something we don't, I think, realize. And, and I think we, because we don't, we don't rely on the Holy Spirit as we ought. We don't acknowledge His presence like we should. 1 Peter 4.12, it says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes to you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Do we, do we really every day just live in the reality that the glorious spirit of God rests on us? It's not something we're waiting on. It's not something we're waiting on to be baptized in, but that, that He has already given it to us. Do you live in the reality and just, just acknowledging His presence that He's there to help? I think another reason we, we don't really feel the power of Christ's testimony here is that we attempt things we can do in our own power. There's a Chinese Christian that, that visited and he toured around and, and he looked at American Christianity and they asked him, hey, what do you think? And he said, I'm amazed at what they can do without the power of the Holy Spirit. And I think sometimes what, what is happening is the reason we don't rely on the Holy Spirit is because we're just doing the stuff that we can do on our own. But there is no, there is no struggle. There is no attempting 
amazing and great things for God that are, are killing sin in our own life that we should be doing or going out and proclaiming Christ to others. We just do what we can do. Therefore, we never need to ask for the Spirit's help. Let us be people that attempt great things so great that we have no choice but to rely on the power of the Spirit. And I think oftentimes it's a lack of prayer. We just simply don't talk to God and ask Him, strengthen your spirit within me. We know from Romans 8, 28, uh, chapter 8, and verse 26, it says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. And He, who's, he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the, of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So we see this amazing relationship between the Spirit and prayer. Even, the Spirit can even pray for us. Let's be people that, that realize, the re, that live in the reality that the Spirit of God rests on us. Let's attempt things that cause us to have to rely on the Spirit. And let's just simply pray daily and ask God to strengthen the Spirit in our lives. We also see another work of the Spirit is that Christ sends the Spirit to expose the world. It says in verse 8, And when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in Me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see Me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of the world is judged. And again, this world that it's talking about is the world that is in rebellion to God, that, that is going against God. It's a world that thinks it's okay. The world, especially 21st century America, re resists the idea of judgment, that, that there's anything wrong with us. I mean, we've got to live in a world where anything goes. I can do what I want to do, and no one can judge me. Reinhold Niebuhr, he said this, probably been 60 years ago now as the as liberal christianity rose in the last century he said that america now viewed religion as a god without wrath that brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through ministrations of a christ without a cross so the world thinks that it's okay but Christ says it's not okay. And the Spirit's going to come and He's going to show that to the world. That He's going to expose the world. The world may not like judgment. It may not want judgment. But that's exactly what God says that it needs. And Jesus points to eight things. Or I'm sorry, uh, in verse 8 He points to three things. He's going to convict the world of, of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. The word elincho, uh, translated uh, convict here, is used seven times in the New Testament. It's almost always used in exposing sin, in exposing something that is wrong, that needs to be changed. 
And so what, what is happening here is the Spirit is going to show the world its wrong understanding of sin, its wrong understanding of righteousness, its wrong understanding of judgment. And he's going to give three clauses to further explain each of these three items. It says, first he's going to expose sin. It says concerning sin in verse 9, because they do not believe in me. Sin is, is ultimately rooted in disbelief of God. When Satan showed up in the garden to make Adam and Eve sin, what did he do first? He made them disbelieve in the goodness of God. Oh, God knows that if you eat the fruit, that you'll be like him. He's not really out, out, he's out for himself and he's not out for you. And so he, he sowed that seed of disbelief in their hearts. And after that, that's when the fruit began to look tempting. It began to look good to the eyes. John said back in uh, 319, or Jesus said rather, uh, and, and, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Man loves sin because man disbelieves God and has rebelled against God. This is our default condition. We are born in rebellion. And there is only one thing that takes away our sin, and that is our belief in the Son of God. Faith is, bound, is, is, is the bond by which we are united to Christ and therefore freed from that sin. Our sinfulness leads us utterly helpless, helpless to save ourselves. We must connect to Christ in faith. It exposes righteousness. The Spirit exposes righteousness. It says in verse 10, Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Now, obviously, the Spirit does not come to convict people of true righteousness. True righteousness is good, right? It's good to be righteous. Christ was righteous. But he's to convict of the wrong idea of righteousness, the world's righteousness. Because man's, man's tendency is to, is to lift up their own righteousness, to think that, hey, I'm good enough. I may not be perfect. I'll admit I'm not perfect, but I'm not like them. So man's tendency is, as a sinner, is to generate his own righteousness. I mean, that's what Adam and Eve did first thing. When they realized they had sinned, what did they do? They went and sowed fig leaves. They went and tried to, to cover their sin with their own works, with their own righteousness. And the world thinks that their righteousness is good enough. But the reality is, is that our own righteousness generated apart from God can never save. Isaiah 64, 6, very popular verse. We have all become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf and are in our iniquities like the wind take us away the best the world has to offer its own righteousness is a filthy rag 
before a holy God. So why does it say here concerning righteousness that I'm going to the Father and you'll see me no more? What does Jesus going back to the Father have to do with a right understanding of righteousness? Well, if we, if we come to the correct understanding that our righteousness is not enough, then we have to ask the question, is there a righteousness for me? Is there a righteousness that will cover me, that will make me able to stand before God? And the answer is, of course there is. It is the righteousness of Christ. Jesus goes to the right hand of the Father to plead for us under that righteousness. I am justified. We are justified because of this righteousness. So do you you see the order emerging here? I must be convinced of my sin, but that's not enough to save me. Being convinced that I'm a sinner and being shown my sin, it's not enough to save me. It is only when I'm able to take on the righteousness of Christ that I'm justified before God. And now, in our salvation, when we do believe and we are connected to that righteousness, Christ is in heaven interceding for us before the Father. Third is judgment. Verse 11, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Jesus has already described in this gospel the fact that the world does not judge rightly. 7.24, he said, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. He also said in 8.16, yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true for it's not I alone who judge, judge, but I and the Father who sent me. So Jesus is saying, hey, the world doesn't judge correctly. There's a right judgment and a wrong judgment. And what he's saying here is that the spirits can expose the wrong judgment. We see in the torture and the death of Christ, we see the ultimate in bad judgment. Acts 2.23 says, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. How blind do you have to be in judgment to be a sinful man that lays hold to the perfect spotless Lamb of God and you crucify Him. That's Terrible judgment. But it was not Christ who was judged on the cross. It was us. And it was Satan. Colossians 2.15 says, He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in the cross. Though Satan is loose, though Satan is wreaking havoc. He is already lost because he has been judged by God through Christ setting things right on the cross. 
unless we in in our rebellion correct our judgment we will experience a similar fate to satan who will be judged on the day of pentecost when peter preached and and that's where i got the verse while ago where he tells them hey you crucified him we delivered him up by the hands of sinful men Here's what happens after he preaches that. And this is Pentecost. This is when, man, the Spirit is going throughout uh, the multitude and, and because of Peter's preaching, doing these amazing things. But here's the main thing he does. In Acts 2, verse 37, When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and asked Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? So the Spirit at Pentecost came to people, the same, the people that, that were behind the crucifixion, the people that offered him up and, and wanted to see him crucified. They're the ones that the Spirit subtly shows them, your judgment was terribly lacking. And so they realize that and they're asking, what do we need to do about this great sin that we've done. Their judgment becomes clear. And they're making a right judgment. And because of that, 3,000 souls were added to the church that day because of the work of the Spirit in showing them the right judgment. Christ, in the moment of His death and resurrection, judges Satan for Satan's wrong. But make no mistake, unless you turn from your rebellion, unless you begin to judge Christ rightly, you too will be judged. This morning, if you've never judged Christ rightly, correctly, you've not put your faith in him and the spirit is convicting you he's coming he's doing what christ says he's going to do is is he you as a worldly person is he opening up these things to your eyes is he opening your eyes to these things to your sin to your need for righteousness and and your need to judge christ rightly if he's doing that don't wait in a few moments when we offer a hymn of invitation, do it now. You can even, as you're sitting here in the middle of the sermon, you can call upon Christ and be saved. Do that. Don't wait another second. Thirdly, we see that the Holy Spirit will declare Christ and His Word. The Spirit, first of all, declares with perfect timing, as we've kind of already talked about, Verses 12 and 13, I still have many things to you to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you in all the truth. While Jesus did not want to dump everything He could have said, everything that they needed for the rest of their lives, He didn't want to do it then. That's why He was sending the Spirit. So that throughout their life and throughout our lives, we have someone to constantly be our guide. I love the 
the uh, guy, he will guide you into all the truth. So, and pray, read the scriptures, ask for the Spirit's guidance in helping you understand the scriptures and how to apply it to your life. And you have a constant teacher. You have that amazing, amazing tutor that's just with you all the time. All the time to expose God's truth to you, to your heart. Don't forget about that ever-present teacher that's always available to you. We know that the Spirit declared to give us Scripture. It says, For he, verse 13, For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. The Spirit, you say, and the Spirit's not going to come and give you any new revelation. The Spirit's going to come to you, disciples, and he's going to help you understand the He's going to help you remember the words I've said. He's going to help you understand the words I've said. He's going to help you write those down. And he, it also talks about, he's going to tell you the things to come. You know, John's sitting there, he's going to write Revelation. And he's going to be shown visions of what's to come. He's going to write those down. The Spirit's going to help them write the Scriptures. And to deliver to us through the Spirit's work in these men this amazing book now i believe that the spirit can guide us in many ways speaking to our conscience he can speak through bringing us bringing certain circumstances into our lives but i think he directs us in ways we and i think he directs us in ways we can't possibly comprehend but know this that the scripture is always I mean, the, the, the Spirit's always going to operate according to the Scripture. Be mindful of, of men who tell you that they've heard from the Spirit something that they can't back up in here. Be very careful. If one of us, as your pastors, begin to act like we have a special phone line to God, and He's telling us things that we can't tell you from the Scriptures, you, you need to fire us. You need to run from this place because it's no longer a place that's safe. Because the Spirit is not going to go against the Scriptures. The Spirit is going to use the Scriptures. And third, the Spirit is going to declare Christ. It says in verse 14, He will glorify me, for He will take what is mine and declare to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said, that he will make take what is mine and declare it to you. We, we often see those who would abuse the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. It's almost as if the Spirit's taken the front seat to all the rest of the Trinity. If you look at oneness Pentecostalism and, and the, the mod, modalism that it promotes, in fact, they, all, they only exist as these different people at, at once. So when the Spirit's there, like, Jesus isn't even really there. It's just God appearing as the Spirit, which is heresy and, and not according to the Scriptures. Because what Jesus says here is what the Spirit's going to do, it's gonna glor- He's going to glorify me. He's going to point to me. He's going to 
help you and your affections for me. So be mindful when it's all about the Spirit and nothing about the Son because Jesus says that's not how it works. Unless we, we, unless we forget this is not about value. This is not about the value of deity. This is about a role that the, the Holy Spirit and Jesus is playing. Jesus, a role that they're in. Jesus, time and time throughout His ministry, said, I'm doing what the Father's telling me to do. I'm acting on his authority. I'm speaking the words that he's telling me to speak. Would, would any of us dare say that Jesus is nothing because he's acting on to glorify the Father? In the same way, the Spirit is doing the same thing with the Son. And it's not because he's less than the Son or because he's not God. It's just his role is to point and glorify Christ. So keep that in mind as you as you hear teachings or, or you see people operating and abusing the Spirit, many times it's, it's easy to tell where they're at by where is the Spirit in relation to Christ and exalting Christ. This morning I ask you, are you missing out on the package that changes everything? Did Christ leave us this great gift that we don't really even ever open? I would encourage you this morning to think through your relationship, your reliance on the Spirit in your life. Ask yourself, are you, are you living a life as the Spirit, as the Scriptures would say, are you walking in the Spirit daily? Are you relying on the Spirit? Are you going to get help from the Spirit? Let us repent and let us seek the Helper's help. Let us proclaim the Gospel so the Spirit might convict the world. Let us learn from the Spirit as we rely on Him and the Holy Spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit Scriptures to grow us in Christ. I'm going to ask you to please stand as our musicians come and I'm going to ask for God's help in this time of just reflecting on, on God's word and what he has spoken to us this morning. Let's pray. Dearly Father, God, we thank you for the Spirit. God, help us to be absolutely reliant on your Spirit. Help us to seek help from the Helper that you left for us, that you sent to us. God, help us to proclaim to a lost world the Gospel so that the Spirit can work in the hearts of people and convict them. God, help us to always seek guidance in and, and, and your amazing spirit through your word. God, move in our hearts this morning. Change us in relation to our relationship with the spirit.
us to rely on the Spirit. In Jesus' name.